Good morning, everybody. So very good to uh, be with you. It's always an honor for me to get to stand before you as we open up God's Word together. I hope this new year has started off well for you. I always know it's a new year because it's always on this Sunday morning. I get up and I turn on the television and I see that Houston Marathon and I always think, ah. I was going to sign up for that. I miss that every year. I think because it comes so early. If it was a little later in the year, I would be there. But uh, once again, another year, another year missed. But um, it's been a fantastic start of the new year for me and for my family. Uh, My son, who's our second, um, got married January 1st. And so uh, he married his uh, college sweetheart, Katie. And so we have another addition to our family. Our family's kind of a, uh, seems like there's a lot. We've got four kiddos, but um, we've got two that are married now, and uh, we're also a foster family. And so we have lots of little ones that um, come in and out of our home. That's a huge blessing to our family, huge blessing to us, and um, just a, a great, great joy in our, in our lives. Um, uh, during this last year, um, we had a, a little foster one that was pretty much with us all during kind of the COVID uh, uh, season, and, and uh, she went on to, you know, what it's going to be for, hopefully we're praying that it's her forever family, and after she uh, uh, left, we thought we needed, uh, we needed a puppy, call it our therapy puppy. I think I brought a picture along. Is there a picture uh, here this morning on our slides? I brought a picture of my dog. That's our puppy, Coda. Coda is a nine-month-old golden retriever, and she is all the things that you would think. She is sweet, and she is smart, and she is loyal. Um, But she has this one trait that I'm hoping that she will grow out of at some point. And those of you that are dog people, you you understand this, you get this. and that is that, uh, you know, when we go somewhere, we can, we can leave her home alone, and um, she, does, she does just fine. But when we come back, she gets so excited. You know what I mean? I mean, as soon as we walk in the door, her tail is wagging, and she is jumping all over. She cannot wait to see us again. And I think if this little dog could talk, she would say, <gasps> I missed you so much. You were gone so long. I didn't think you were ever coming back. But the thing about it is that, um, you know, whether it's, you know, a few hours like this morning or whether it's five minutes just running a little errand around the neighborhood, it's always the same response. Because if, if I'm running just a, an errand and I'm gone for five minutes, I'll come back and I get the same response. Her tail is wagging. She's jumping all over the place. And if she could talk, she would say, oh, you were gone so long. I missed you so much. I thought you were never coming back. And I wonder at some point, is she going to get to that point to where she feels at home? She's less anxious. She's not worried about us when we're, when we're gone. And, and that she will know that we're going to be the ones that, that always take care of her and we always will provide for her. You know, sometimes I wonder if that's what God thinks about us at times. If he doesn't look at us and think, you know, When is it that you're going to get to the point to where you trust me? When is it that you're going to get to the point to where you really know that I'm in control of your life, that I care about you, that I love you, that I'm not going to leave you, but I'm always going to be with you. I am going to be the one that sustains you throughout your life. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, um, 
there is something that's called medical tourism. Have you ever heard of this before, medical tourism? Did you know that um, there are places that you can go around the world that offer medical services and people will often travel to countries like um, Mexico or Puerto Rico or um, Singapore or Panama and they will go specifically for medical procedures. Some of them uh, elective, many of them not. But there's one thing about all the thousands and thousands of people that travel to different parts of the world specifically for medical treatment. And the one thing that's common about all of them is that they're all desperate. They're all looking for something that will give them some hope in their life. They're looking for something that will really change their life. If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to me, uh, with me. Um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 17, as Colton already read for us this morning. And um, we're going to look at, at Luke 17, but before we kind of dive into the text, I want to kind of set things up for us. Um, here is a, a story that probably for most of us, you've heard before, maybe you've studied this uh, story before, but it, it's pretty familiar to most of us. If I were to tell just kind of a simplistic telling of the story, it would be something like this, you know. Um, there were 10 lepers. Um, Jesus healed all 10 of them, um, but only one of them came back to say, thank you. Therefore, we should all be more kind and more grateful, and, and we should, you know, treat each other better. That might be a simplistic telling of the story, but I would encourage you that there is so much more to this simple story that applies to each, each and every one of our, our lives. Now, as you look at Luke 17, there's actually two different times um, in the New Testament that Jesus heals a leper. The first time is in Luke chapter 5. Early on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus encounters a man who has leprosy and he heals them. But what's different about this encounter is that he tells the man, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what I've done. And, and he moves on from that situation. Now, there's a lot of different scholars that have lots of different theories of why Jesus told the man not to tell anybody. A lot of folks think that it was so early on in Jesus' ministry that he didn't want to draw that kind of attention to himself because healing somebody with a, a deadly disease like this would have drawn more attention than what Jesus wanted to at the beginning of the ministry. But here we are a little later on in Jesus' ministry, Luke chapter 17, and here this time Jesus heals not one but he heals 10 men with leprosy. Let's go ahead and look at what it says. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. Now, I don't know if you know this, but, but leprosy is a terrible terrible disease it it starts out as just a small patch on your on your skin it's it's not painful in fact that's part of the problem with leprosy it's it's kind of numbing and and a lot of times people didn't even realize that they had had the disease before it begins spreading over your body and it spreads to your limbs and to your facial features, oftentimes taking those with you as 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 the disease progressive um, Leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease that um, often would, would uh, most often would take someone's life over a number uh, of years. But 
Not only was it a terribly physically painful uh, disease because of what it would do to your body, but emotionally it was awful also because of the isolation that came along with leprosy that you had to endure. Because when somebody was first diagnosed with leprosy, which often was done by the priest, the isolation began to set in because they would immediately have to leave their home, they would have to leave their family, they'd have to leave their community. No longer they would be able to go to the marketplace or go to the synagogue or just sit and talk with close friends and lead any kind of sense of of normal life. As a leper, you had to dress a certain way in old, torn clothes. You couldn't comb your hair. You had to, to cover your nose and your mouth with a face covering. Some of us know a little bit about that. But you couldn't allow someone who didn't have leprosy to come close to you. In fact, you had to shout out in a loud voice, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine what that would be like if you had to take the the one trait that you were maybe most embarrassed about or most ashamed of and have to shout it out to other folks, I'm sick, don't come close to me. Imagine what that does to somebody's spirit, to somebody's soul. That's what these men were were feeling. They were outcasts. They were forgotten. They were discarded by their community. And I'm sure that Jesus wasn't the only one that had seen or encountered this group of lepers. This road between Samaria and Galilee was one that was well-traveled as folks were on the way to Jerusalem for different festivals and, and different travel. And they probably did what oftentimes we do. When we see somebody that is maybe homeless or begging or sick, maybe we're not sure what to say or what to do or how to help. And so it's easiest just to not make eye contact at all. I imagine these, this group of, of 10 lepers was used to people moving to the other side of the road, staying their distance, ignoring them, not wanting to get involved. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of that in my life at different times. Maybe because I'm too busy or maybe I'm not sure what to say or what to do. I think we all do that at different times. You know, during the pandemic, we've all experienced some sense of what that might have been like, that isolation, that disconnect from other people, not being able to be close to the people that you love sometimes, not being able to connect with them. Well, these lepers, they... They didn't have Zoom and they didn't have FaceTime. They didn't have cell phones. They couldn't, couldn't connect with the people that they cared about. It was a difficult, difficult place that they were in. Leprosy was an incurable disease. It lasted about 10 to 15 years before it would ultimately take your life. It was a horrible death sentence that meant you could no longer kiss your spouse, hug your grandkids. You could no longer and just sit and visit with with close friends, not only were you sick, but you were utterly rejected by society. But look at what happens in verse 14. It says, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. Now, in this one little verse, there's, there's a lot to 
unpack. There's a lot of things that are said here that got my attention. Uh, The first thing is these first four little words. It says, when he saw them. How long do you think it had been since somebody really looked at those men? How long do you think it had been since somebody had really paid attention when they cried out or when they asked for something? Imagine you're, you're untouchable, you're disfigured, you're cast out by society, and then somebody actually sees you. My oldest daughter, Megan, when she was in high school, she spent one summer traveling in India and Nepal on a mission trip. And um, one of the things that they had an opportunity to do when they were in Nepal is they actually went to a leper colony. There's still leprosy today. It's called Hansen's disease. Um, we do have some treatment for it. It's, it's certainly not as contagious as it was or we think it was at one time. And there are some, some cures for it, but it's an expensive treatment and it's expensive medication and not everybody's able to get that. But her team actually went to a leper colony when they were in Nepal and they spent about a half a day there. And I asked her, I said, what was, what was that like? She said it was difficult. The smell was difficult. Looking at the disfigurement among the folks that were there was difficult. Just hearing their stories was heartbreaking. She said we had an opportunity to spend the afternoon with them as many of them told their story about how God had rescued them and and placed them in this community. It was a Christian rescue center for those who had, had leprosy. She said we had an opportunity to pray for them. We actually laid our hands on them as we prayed. She said the reaction was overwhelming. She said not a lot of people come to see them. And so to have human interaction and fresh faces was was quite a delight for that group. But imagine... Being in this situation, you see, as Christians, we are called to move towards broken people in hard places. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this moment. But Jesus not only engages with this group of ten, but then he tells them, go present yourselves to the priests. Which, for this group, wouldn't have been an easy thing. I mean, think about that. This is a group of lepers probably at all different stages of leprosy. And so when he says, go present yourself to the priests, that was a big ask. Because I imagine many of them were probably disabled. I mean, going to the priests meant some of them were hobbling or crawling or had to be carried. And that's exactly what they did. As they stepped out, this was a mission of faith. Isn't it interesting? As they went, they were cleaned, it says. We don't know how how far it took them. You know, was it 100 yards? Was it half a mile? Was it a mile before their bodies began to change? Before they were, were miraculously healed? Wouldn't you have liked to have been in that situation when that happened? I mean, as they first began to notice that their bodies were changing, as they began to look at each other, And we don't know what actually happened to them, but not only were they cleansed of this disease, but they were healed. They were made whole. 
And I imagine as they began to look at each other and say, hey, you've changed. What happened to the leprosy? What happened to the disease? What happened to the, the flesh that was rotting is now made whole? And I imagine as they began to realize that they were healed by Jesus, they didn't just walk, but I imagine they ran. They ran to the priests to present themselves because they wanted to re-engage with their lives. They trusted Jesus and they took that first step. Have you ever been in one of those situations in your life where you have negotiated with God? You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a medical issue. Maybe it's a financial one. Maybe it's relationships or something at school or something at work. And there's some situation that you find yourself in and you're just not sure how you're going to move forward, right? And you begin this conversation with God. Oh God, if you would please just help me through this situation. If you would just help get me past this. I mean, I'll do anything. I'll be your man. I'll be your woman. I'll give you my firstborn. Whatever it is, help me get through this situation. But sometimes, have you noticed? We do this in reverse. We start negotiating with God for the blessing before we're willing to take a step. You see this happen in, in Scripture a number of, of different times. I'm, I'm thinking back to um, the Israelites. Remember when Moses was, was bringing the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? Remember as they began to, to start on their journey to the promised land, they began to move out into the wilderness. They began to travel. They began um, just early on, they started camping um, close to the sea, to the Red Sea. Remember this early on? And um, they're... they're enjoying their freedom and then suddenly they realize uh oh pharaoh has changed his mind and 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 pharaoh gathers the egyptian army and they get all their 600 chariots and all their army and they start chasing after the israelites and the israelites can see that they are coming and they start complaining and they start complaining to moses what have you done you brought us out here to the wilderness why did you bring us out here to die Moses begins this conversation and God begins to tell him what to do. He says, I'm going to show you the glory of God today. And Moses begins to cry out and, and, and God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your staff and I want you to hold it out over the sea. And what happens? The sea parts. The Israelites walk across. The, Israelite, or the Egyptians try to follow and they are destroyed. Fast forward that story about 40 years. Suddenly Moses is gone and Joshua is in, in command of the Israelites. And this time they are crossing over the Jordan River into the promised land. But there's one problem. There's the Jordan River that they have to cross over with this large multitude of people. And the scripture tells us that it was, it was at harvest time and the, uh, uh, the river was swollen. It was flooded. It's kind of like those situations where sometimes you see on TV, you know, where you'll, you'll see an area of the world that's flooded and you'll see a car like floating down the river. This is what the Jordan River was at, like at that moment where it was just rushing by and God had said, hey, you've got to get to the other side of the river. I wonder what that negotiation was like with Joshua. You know, hey, you know, he's probably said, hey, God, you want me to, you know, hold my staff out like, like Moses did? You, you want to do that again? But God this time says, no, this time I, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to take those priests and I want you to have them step 
into the river. Imagine being in that situation. God's asking you to step into this raging river. I wonder if it was, you know, did they, did they just put their toes in? Did they get ankle deep? Did they get knee deep? Did they get chest deep? But at some point, God stops the flow of the river. And once again, the Israelites cross over. You see, sometimes instead of negotiating with God, we need to be willing to take that first step. What is it for you today that God is asking you to take a step in? Maybe you've got something in your life that you're not sure how you're going to get through, how you're going to get past. Maybe it's, maybe it's something medical. Maybe it's something relational. Maybe there's some, some situation in your life you're just not quite sure. Is God asking you to take that first step? I'll tell you a situation that happened with uh, my wife, Jenny, and I just this week. Over the last, um, I would say the last few months, we've been busy. You know what married life is like when you, you get busy, you, you, you start just kind of going through the motions and kind of going through your daily routine. Jenny started a new job this fall with our foster care agency, and so she's been, been busy ramping up in that new area. And then, of course, we had the holidays, and, and we had our son's wedding come up. And Jenny and I had just gotten into a habit of just doing life, not paying much attention to one another. And we had kind of noticed that we had drifted a little bit. Not, not bad, um, but just, I mean, we were roommates. And this last week, I, I said, hey, do you have time to go to lunch? Let's go grab some cup of soup and, and just chat. And we sat down, and I, I, I just said, hey, I'm tired of being roommates. I want to have a relationship with you like like we've had in the past, and we haven't been doing that. What do I need to do to change that? And as we began talking about all the distractions and all the things that we had, had done just to, to kind of drift, we decided, you know, we need to be more intentional. We need to be more intentional in our, our relationship. We need to get back to praying together. We need to get back to doing stuff together. We had gotten so busy with so many other good activities that we kind of stopped doing stuff just for us. It's easy to drift apart. And so we made a very conscious effort to take that next step. We started a new um, uh, marriage video series. If you've got Right Now Media, there's one on there. We're doing Sacred Marriage by Gary Thompson's great, great series. But just something simple, just to, just to remind us of the basics of why we're together. Just to remind us, hey, we've got to, to take those steps each day to remind ourselves, hey, I love you, I care about you. Sometimes God asks us to take those steps. It's exactly what happens here in this section of Scripture um, as, as God asked him, God asked these uh, lepers to take that step to go show and present themselves to the priests so that they could be cleansed, so that they could be healed. So, um, for 
for each of us, that might be something a little bit different. That might be something that we need to take that first step in. Maybe it's, maybe it's just asking somebody around us to help. Whether it's a, a relational issue, maybe it's a, a, a personal issue, maybe it's something that God is asking you to take that next step in breaking an addiction. I, I know right here in this community, there's a number of groups that are called uh, Celebrate Recovery. And if you don't know what Celebrate Recovery, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a Christian version of AA to where you can come together with a group of folks that are struggling with all sorts of different hurts and habits and... Um, Find individuals that um, have been there before, that have discovered freedom in their life and want to help you get there. That might be a first step that you need to take. I'll guarantee you, whatever it is that you're struggling with today, um, whether it's personal or family or whatever, there is somebody within this church family who's been there. And there's somebody that's right here that is willing to help. But it takes that first step of, of asking. And that's what many of us need to do. But notice as we get back to the section of Scripture here, this time in verse 15, it says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back to praise God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, let me ask a question just to make sure you're awake. How many lepers were healed? Ten, right? All ten lepers had faith and they were healed. Now, Jesus tells them to go to show themselves to the priests and they were healed. And that really should have been the end of this story. But Luke chooses to, to focus the rest of the story not on the ten, but instead the one who returned. Verse 17, he asks, were not all ten cleansed? Where were the other nine? Has no, one give, uh, has no one returned to give uh, praise to God except for this foreigner? He said this to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. What does Jesus say made him well? He says, rise and go, it's your faith that's made you well. Isn't it interesting because as you read this story, it sounds like all ten lepers had faith. But Jesus pauses here and he recognizes that one of them had faith that was different. Now, if you'll allow me to, I'm going to pull out some of my Bible college Greek and um, uh, just kind of dive in a little bit deeper into this text. The word that Jesus uses here in Greek is this word pistis, which means belief. But it's not just belief. It's a deep-seated belief that causes you to act on that belief. Now that's the same word that's used in Galatians chapter 5. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's that same word, and gentleness and self control. And it was all 10 lepers that Jesus um, took Jesus at his word and had enough faith to be changed and healed and cleansed. But when all 10, uh, but all while all 10 lepers had the faith, not only to go, only one had the faithfulness to come back to Jesus. And Jesus separated the Samaritan and his faith above all the others. Notice in verse 17, Jesus asks, he says, weren't all 10 of them cleansed? Jesus is asking really a rhetorical question here. He knows all 10 of them were cleansed. And he knows that the, the one leper that came back, he knows that all 10 of those guys were cleansed. 
But the word that he uses here for being cleansed is is katharizo, which means cleaned out. But then Jesus continues in verse 19, and he says, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. The Greek word there is sozo, which means made whole or rescued. You see, for the Samaritan that came back to say thank you, Jesus said, your faithfulness has made you not katharizo, not cleaned out like the other lepers, but instead sozo, which means made whole. You see, they had the faith to be healed, but he says, you have the faith, the faithfulness to recognize that the healing wasn't the biggest part of the miracle. The biggest part was instead receiving a relationship with the healer. That really was the greater gift. They got the blessing of the healing, but he got the blessing of being with the healer. You see, there's faith that believes, but there is faithfulness that abides There's a faith that believes, but faithfulness holds on. It sticks around. It returns. Faith will get you going, but it's faithfulness that will keep you going through your most difficult days. Faith will get you started, but faithfulness will allow God to finish the work that he began in each of you. For God wants each one of us not only to acknowledge what Jesus has done in our life, He wants us to abide and trust in him for everything that we need. He wants us to move from faith to faithfulness in our daily lives. As in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. You see, understanding what a complete faith is begins by truly understanding where all of our good gifts come from. Now, I want to illustrate this by um, asking, does anybody have a $100 bill? Anybody got a $100 bill with them today? Anybody? You got one? All right, let me see that. Let's see if this is real. Anybody know how to check, see if it's a real real $100? Thank you. Looks good. All right, thank you, sir. Lewis, thank you. Appreciate that. $100. Lewis, I think you're getting a good deal. I think this is a $300 sermon but we'll just go with $100. So, um, so back to our text here. So all 10 were cleaned, but um, only one of them came back to say thank you, right? Y'all seem a little uncomfortable. I just took Lewis's $100. Well, <laughs> would it change the story any if you knew that I actually gave Lewis $100 before Uh, before church began here. Does that change your perspective any? You see, when when we're asked to give something, you might think that Lewis sacrificed $100, but changes the perspective a little bit when you know that really the $100 was mine to begin with, right? The same thing goes with, with our blessings in our life. You know, oftentimes we think that all the good things that happen in our life are because we're talented or we work really, really hard or, you know, we we get lucky at times. But no, the good gifts that happen in our life, they come from God. And when we realize that he is the 
original giver of all those good gifts, it's much easier to come back and say thank you. It's much easier to give back of our time, of our money, whatever it is that God is asking us, when we realize that it all comes from him, then it's so much easier to be grateful. So I'll keep my $100. So when we do come to that understanding, it is easy to come back and thank, thank God and that's what we really want to practice. Scripture tells us that, um, that we should love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. That's the greatest commandment, right? But why do we love God? Because he first loved us. He's just asking us to do what he's already done for each one of us on the cross. Jesus says, I loved you first. Now I'm asking you to love me back. He's asking you to return, to abide, to be faithful and trust in him and he will take care of you. Jesus does this throughout his ministry. He's there and, and, and remember the time he is there with his, his disciples, the last supper. And what does he do? He takes a, a basin of water. He takes a towel and he begins to wash their dirty, nasty, stinky feet. And then what does he ask them to do? He says, now I want you to do the same for each other. He's not talking about that moment. They didn't need their feet washed again. They were already clean. But he's asking his disciples and each one of us today to look around at the people in our lives and to love them and to serve them, to move towards people in hard places in broken lives. Jesus demonstrates, I loved you first, now I want you to do the same. God wants us to turn our faith into faithfulness. He wants us to be deeply rooted and firmly planted in him. And today he's asking you, each one of you, to be the one. To be the one that comes back and praises God for all that he has given you. Even if you haven't been in the habit coming to church or being connected to the body of Christ, he's asking you to come back. Even if you're struggling with sin in your life, the same sin over and over and over, he's asking you to come back, to be the one and praise God. I want to finish up our time together and just remind you that each one of us, there's nobody here that is alone today. As a church family, we, we come together to encourage one another, to love one another, to support one another. And maybe there's something in your life that you're ready to, to step out in faith. Well, you need to know that you don't have to do that alone. If there's something that this church family can pray for you, we'd like to be there to do that. If there's something that you have a need in your life that you're just not sure how you're going to get met, maybe you need to let somebody know. We, we like to say that we have the, the eyes of, of Jesus, that we can see everything, but we, we can't. Sometimes you just have to let somebody know. This church is well equipped to love you right where you are, to help you and support you in so many ways. And so I'm going to pray for us, and, and after, 
after our service, if there is, you know, somebody that you need to, to talk to, um, I know Derek's going to be in the back. He'd be happy to pray with folks. I'm going to be up here in the front. Be loved, I'd love to be able to pray with you this morning. But I want to pray over us, and then we're going to sing another song and finish out our time together. Let's bow to God in prayer. Our Father God, we thank you so much for bringing us together. Father, you've given us so much. Now, we want to return what you have already given to me. Father, you've changed my life. And now I'm asking you to help use me to do the same in someone else's life. Father, help each one of us be the one. Be the one that doesn't just take your blessings, but Father, instead, help us to be the one that continues to come back to share your blessings with others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.